So I just got off the phone with somebody, and I get a bunch of these calls, so it's kind of not unusual for me. And they've just had a really hard run, a, just a, a lot of fatalities. I mean, just a lot. One's bad. They're kind of in double digits. And the way that call happens and just the humanity that's a part of that conversation, when when one of our peers reaches out because something awful has happened, man, you just it just doesn't seem like there's enough you can do. Anything that we can do to help each other, we should help each other. That's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Hey, everybody, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. I am the host of this here podcast, and everyone has one. Although it's weird, the podcasts, um, there there were a lot of them, and then there were not very many. Now there's not very many, and maybe they'll, they'll probably reach back up, but we'll see. Um, sorry to start that one on kind of a low note. I don't know if that's a low note, but it's definitely an important note. And it's uh, more important than the normal crap we talk about, which is, you know, bicycles, uh, food, donuts. Those are the things that I'm truly passionate about. Those are the things I love. But uh, it, it, is, it is a conversation that we probably need to have today. And it's probably time. I mean, we probably can't have this conversation enough times. That's for sure. How are things going with you? So we're, we're reaching towards the end of the month. And we're heading, at least in North America, into what is affectionately and longingly called spring. And I don't know if you've read my record, but I am pro-spring. I uh, can't tell you enough about spring, how good spring is. Because in New Mexico, and not that I think every one of you should live here, but it'd be nice if you all lived here. Uh, It's that fun of a place. But in New Mexico, the spring's really a great time because it just smells good. Everything smells good and Everything's green, and we had a pretty good winter, Um, and the way we judge a pretty good winter is, did we get enough water to make it so that spring has the actual function of rejuvenating the earth? And uh, it was a pretty good winter. I mean, it's we, we got snow. Not like other places in North America got snow, but we didn't do badly. I would say that. It's it's interesting. And then the other thing is it's the temperature gets better and the days are great. And, you know, we have about 300 and well, they say we have 320 days of sunshine, which is probably true. I mean, we have lots of sunshine, but it means we can go out and do things. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but I think my creativity goes down because I actually think I think better when I'm out riding my bicycle around the bike trails in Santa Fe. And again, the offer stands if you get a wild hair and think you can handle it. Oh, yeah, I just threw down on you. That's what just happened. But if you think you can handle it, you're always welcome to come and go on a bike ride with me. And the funny thing about that is a bunch of you have done it. So it's not like this won't happen. It really happens. And we'll just cruise around. You know, not, not we're not going to break any records. It's not going to be like the world's longest journey or hottest or least watered or fastest we'll just cruise around the bike trails and look at stuff and talk and 
that's kind of what I do and, and see if I can find all the regulars because that, that is the fun part is there's a group of people that I see almost every day and I miss them when they're not actually, I don't just miss them when they're not there. I kind of worry about them a little bit. It's weird. That is called, if you want to look that up, a parasocial relationship. It's not really a relationship because we don't know each other names. We don't know nothing. I know nothing about these people. But I feel like I know them. It's the same thing you get with movie stars, you know. It's the reason you probably would say hi to Tom Cruise because you feel like you know him. You don't, but you feel like you do. That is a part of the overall journey and the excitement that is spring. So when I think about spring, that's what I think about. How about you? How are things going? Are you busier than crap? Because remember, busy people get stuff done. We've established that this year. And since we know that to be true, I'm not 100% convinced being busy is all bad. I do think you have to make time to have fun and to enjoy life and to have gratitude. So if you're not exercising and practicing gratitude, you should be. And when I say exercising, I mean actually doing it and practicing because it's sometimes hard to do. But nonetheless, I don't want to sound too preachy. That is not the pod that's coming up, but it's not this part of the pod for sure. So let's talk a little bit today because I think it's worthwhile talking about uh, what we mean. So let's get into what happens next. So the thing about fatalities and fatality prevention Or you could even take this farther and say catastrophic failure. But I think that kind of softens it. The thing about people getting killed at work, which is the language I try to use as much as possible, because I think it's a language that has an edge to it and it has an impact. And words matter. We know that to be true. The thing about fatalities and the work we do is that first and foremost, I think we have to establish the fact that fatalities are not a function of a failure to prevent an accident. Fatalities are much more of a function of a failure to control the energy that was released in the accident, which sounds a bit sciencey and kind of a bit linear in its nature, but that difference is enormously important. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is I think the belief that if we continue to do the same things harder and better and louder and faster, we will have less fatalities is flawed on the surface. It's it's just wrong because I will promise you the same system that has the catastrophic failure, if we don't change that system – all the potential conditions for that catastrophic failure will continue to exist in that system. And so that's when you hear things like, well, we need to get to the root cause of this fatality. We need to really dig down deeply and learn, and we need to fix things, right? Well, those are all kind of true. I mean, that's, that's, it would be, I would be remiss if I acted like they weren't true. The problem is, is that I actually don't think that's the problem. I have looked at a lot of fatalities. And you probably have too, unfortunately. I mean, it's something we share. And what I find when you really look at the fatality event, when you look at the catastrophic failure, it's 
it's not that we failed to prevent it. And so notching up prevention is probably not going to be very helpful. I mean, it's, I never know how to talk about this because it's always helpful to prevent things. And it's always going to be even more helpful to notch up prevention. So prevention isn't bad. Don't leave this conversation thinking, well, he hates prevention. I No, prevention's vital. It's everything. It's super important. It's just not enough. In the DOE, Department of Energy, the DOE, where I come from, and if you talk to Shane or Tony or any of the, the cats that kind of worked in that world, we would tell you that prevention is necessary but not sufficient. That's a term of art that we use all the time, necessary but not sufficient. So it's important. It's vital to have. It's foundational to have. The challenge is, is it's not enough. And so that puts us in this really interesting position. Where if a catastrophic failure happens, but it's not happening because we failed to prevent it, then how's it happening? Well, that's a good question. And the question is, is that we failed to control it. And the difference between prevention and control, well, that difference is the event. So when we're preventing things, nothing bad has happened. And the pickle with prevention is that the better we get at preventing, the fewer things will happen. So prevention is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It sort of reinforces itself. If we're really good at preventing things from happening, then quite honestly, we don't need to worry about recovery or control or restoration. We don't have to think about those things because we don't need them. Because we're so stinking good at preventing. And that works beautifully until it doesn't. And virtually every single catastrophic failure you've seen, or I've seen, collectively we've seen, that's the story. This was a good company. It was a great company. Because really good companies with really low industrial safety numbers, very few injuries, very few days away, they're, they're really good at managing industrial safety, still kill people. Well, so how's that happen? Because they're really good at saying they're good at prevention. Well, the answer is, is that they simply don't have a matched set of recoverability. And this difference is really important. I mean, I, I, and, and you'll have to tell me because I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I, I think I sort of live in the boiling water that will kill me, but uh, you'll have to tell me if that makes sense to you or if it doesn't make sense to you. I, I really want to know if what I'm saying, if the difference between prevention and control isn't profoundly obvious, then I'm sucking at what I'm doing. I'm not doing a good job making that difference known. But one of the ways you can sort of indicate this bias towards prevention or prevention being necessary but not sufficient is when you look at investigation paperwork or you look at reporting or you look at the stories they tell and if the organization tells the story of how they failed to prevent the accident that's really scary to me because they're going to talk about failure to follow procedure failure to follow rules failure to blah blah failure to this worker made a bad choice worker this is, you you know what this is going to look like you've seen a million of these 
Well, if they tell you what didn't happen, which is kind of how you explain the failure to prevent, then what happens is you're going to actually do all your learning and worse, your corrective action design and programming based upon things that did not take place, which is how we get back into this loop of, well, we need to do safety harder. I mean, one of the things that's, and I mean this in the most loving way I can say it, but it's profoundly important to talk about, is that if somebody dies at work, safety didn't fail. Operations failed. Because fatalities aren't owned by safety. They're owned by the organization. And that's an organizational failure. That's not an individual failure. The organization failed. And part of that is understanding at a, kind of a basic level and i don't want to sound preachy or goofy although i think i do pretty well at both part of the basic understanding is is that when something bad happened it happened because the energy got out and we didn't have any way to control it and so in essence and this gets me into lots of trouble with companies in essence our our processes our operations were out of control the alignment between risk and safeguard or risk and barrier or risk and control, that alignment was not there. It was misaligned. We had lots of risk, but not very much control. And what's amazing is that's almost always a function, not of bad people doing bad things, bad managers, bad organizations, bad systems, bad programs, bad safety that's almost always a function of not having the right controls in place when the system fails. So I'm talking to these people on the phone, and they're great. I mean, they're, they're absolutely profoundly impacted by this, and they want this to stop. They want to stop killing people. And it's weird. They're killing people in many different ways, so it's not the same thing. And the other interesting thing is that the work they do is super risky, so the risk isn't really ever going to go away. They're hired to do super risky work. That's what they're good at. It, And for the most part, they're really good at it. They mostly work in super risky environments and not die. So what happens when something fails horribly and a worker is killed? Well, part of what I want to help talk about or help organizations talk about is that when that happens, it's really because there just weren't controls in place because we never, ever thought that failure would happen because we have so many good tools to prevent that failure from taking place. So we build these systems. We kind of expect them to work perfectly or completely, which is the same as perfectly. It's just maybe a little more palatable. And when they don't, we're surprised, and we go back and look at why we didn't do it perfectly. When in reality, the shift from if to when is probably the most helpful tool for this very topic. Because if you work out controls based upon probability, and you have a really good prevention program, your probability of that failure happening is going to be really low. It's going to be in the noise. And therefore, we know risk assessment and hazard assessment is really about managing resources, not really about managing risk. 
we probably won't build a compelling case to put more or additional or better or more functioning controls in that system. And then something bad happens and we have no recoverability. We go from zero to dead guy in a second. And everyone's left wondering why. Why did this bad thing happen? How did we not prevent this from taking place? Well, that's the part that I think is most helpful to us, is you can't prevent everything from taking place. And everything bad that will happen, can happen, does happen. And all systems are running towards degradation. Every system is running towards failure. And the best laid plans of both mice and men, well, you know the end of that. We have to say not if this fails. We have to say when this fails. When this process fails, what's vital? What do we count on to actually not die? What do we count on to give us recoverability? Or as Mark Yeston says, how do we choose the accident outcome we're going to have? And when you shift from if to when, it's really interesting because what you're doing is you're shifting from sort of stopping before it fails to starting when it's safe. Because what you're going to find is there's not that many controls that have to be present. It's not like some crazy list of a thousand. It's going to be one or two or three. And what you can say is, okay, these are the three essential controls. These have to be there. If they're not there, then if something bad happens, we're going to pay for it. So if these controls aren't in place, don't start the job. We'll still pay you. I mean, you're still working. And what we want to do is get to a position where we can get those controls in place as fast as we can because production matters, and that's how we keep score. But ultimately, we're not going to get there by hoping we can prevent all bad things from happening because we can't. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. We should assume all bad things will happen and therefore be ready for that assumption and have enough recoverability, have enough safeguards in the system that are functioning and in place that when something bad happens, we have the ability to recover. It's the entire reason when I talk about near misses, I talk about near miss good or near miss lucky. I mean, I, that's clever and it's interesting and it changes the dialogue. So it's a pretty good little tool to use in safety. But what it really is, is a very good tool to ask this question. Did we have the right controls in place when this failed? We didn't have a consequence, but were we good? Because if we're good, then we need to know that. We need to learn that, and we need to understand how, how we got to be so good at this. Or were we lucky? And if they say we're lucky, that's also pretty good data because that allows us the ability to go in and reevaluate and place controls right where we know that risk exists. You're not going to identify every risk. And the crazy thing about risk is as soon as you get one controlled, there's another one that fills in the empty spot that that one just left. And the other thing that I would suggest, and I really learned this on this phone call this week, is that for the most part, risk is kind of the most normal part of how work happens. And no matter how effective we are, and we think we're pretty darn effective, no matter how effective we are, we probably don't have the ability to manage risk in such a way that we can remove all risk from work. It's normal and it's ever present and it's incredibly dynamic. It, it ebbs and flows. It moves in and out.
And so because the risk part is really uncertain, we have to manage uncertainty with certain control. And so that sort of puts all the benefit on managing controls. Because the bottom line is the things that hurt workers, which we're really good at tracking and trending and understanding and learning and analyzing, the things that hurt workers aren't going to be the same things that kill workers. And if you think about fatalities that you're familiar with, you will almost immediately think, yeah, that's true. I mean, nobody dies of a sprained ankle. Nobody dies of a cut finger. I mean, those are things. They're events. We don't want them, but they're not catastrophic. They, they die because they fall really far or they get electrocuted or they get smashed or crashed or crushed, right? And so we start looking at this and we start thinking, wow, the problem is, is we can't prevent all the ways you can fall. So let's just assume you're always going to fall and let's actually put our rigor, our validation and verification, our attention as an organization and as leaders in an organization on assuring the essential controls are in place before the work starts. Let's build a system that knows how to fail safely. Or better term for this, and it's a David Woods term, Ohio State University, amazing human being. Let's build a system that has graceful extensibility. That when variation happens, when uncertainty raises its ugly head, the system is powerful enough that it can extend itself and provide recoverability. Graceful extensibility. It's kind of a beautiful thought. And I'll never forget sitting with David Woods one time. We were up in some, I don't know, we must have been speaking at a conference someplace because we were up in one of those bars on the top of a hotel with a lot of windows. It didn't turn, but I wish it did. But unfortunately, it didn't. But they weren't using it as a bar. So that was like where we were hanging out. And David Wood said, you know, one of the interesting things about the space program is if they're trying to land and they have trouble, they have enough inertia they can always do one more trip around the Earth. And in that trip around the Earth, what they're buying is time. And time seems to help us when we solve problems. That is an excellent example of graceful extensibility. I mean, I don't know if it's accurate or not, because I don't really know much about that world. But I like that idea that time is, uh, is part of that graceful extension. And really, that's what fall protection does. Fall protection doesn't stop the fall. The fall is going to be the fall. The fall is a function of gravity. It's really predictable. What fall protection does is manage the landing, the consequence. That's a really interesting way to think about fatalities. And the reason we're having this conversation is because, you know, the company, and God bless them, because they're, they, they could not be more and truly aligned towards doing good. I mean, they, they're genuinely interested in doing good. So it's not, I'm not having to talk them into being better people. They're already on the good people list. But when they talked about their path forward, they sort of talked about doubling down on the prevention side. And in their zeal to do that, they're not spending the time on the graceful extensibility side. And I would suggest if a bad thing happens, 
and they happen all the time. The first place I would look is in the recovery. Do we have recovery? Have we built in margin? Is there space there? Is there extensibility? And then once I start answering that question, then I'm okay with us going back and saying, how's our prevention look? What's our planning look like? What's our training look like? What's our execution of work look like? Because those are important questions. There's no doubt. Those questions don't go away. They, they stay there. But I'm thinking those shouldn't be the first questions we ask. In fact, I'm thinking those are the questions we ask after we've addressed the recoverability side of this equation. When the bad thing happens, not if, when, when the bad thing happens, are we in a position where we've got enough recoverability that we can have the event but not have the fatality, not have the catastrophic loss of production, not have the catastrophic loss of containment, not have the catastrophic loss of a quality escape? Because those are really the better questions for us as an organization. And strategically, those are much better questions for the future. And that's the conversation we have to have. But it's hard to have when they call and say, you know, we've killed 12 people or we've killed 14 people or we've killed 21 people, which is what your peer companies say. I'm on that call. I mean, I, I know exactly what it sounds like. And you know that when they kill 21 people or 14 people or even one person, that the way they're managing safe work is not nearly as good as they think it is because their system is clearly out of control because the alignment between risk and control is not present. If risk is high, controls need to be high. If risk is low, controls can be low. I'll give it to you all day long. Some stuff doesn't need a lot of control, but other stuff certainly does. That's the conversation we had. And to me, the important part of us having this conversation as a part of the pod, because I didn't plan this one at all. This just is kind of coming out of what's in my head. The important part of us having this conversation now is that we're having this conversation before something bad happens. So we're not on a call where we're saying somebody died. We're actually driving a truck or walking the dog or mowing the lawn before something bad happens. And one of the questions I want you to sort of deal with is look at normal work because you got to look at normal work and ask this question. What's the critical risk? What's the sticky? What will kill you? And then the next question is when it happens, not if, but when it happens, do we have the right controls in place? so that you don't die. And then the last question I'm going to ask you to ask your workforce, and I really want you to try this, is, is that enough? Do we need more? What are we missing? What's not here that should be here? What's driving you crazy? What should we be doing to make it better? So that's the pod for today. What do you think? Completely not on the schedule. Completely not a part. Didn't even think I was going to talk about this. But I got off that phone call and I thought, you know, I wrote a book on this. And I mean, a bunch of people have read it. But I'm not doing enough to talk about it. 
clearly. Because if really good companies are still really fixated on notching prevention up, then we haven't done our job yet. And that means we need to go out and help sort of change the way people understand catastrophic loss. And if we could change that, the payoff is is that fewer people die. It's hard to measure that because it's hard to measure people who don't die. But I promise you, it makes a huge difference. I, it's the reason I still do this work. It's the entire reason I do the podcast. All I really care about is fatalities. I don't give a crap about sprained ankles. I just, I just don't. It's not that significant to me. But fatalities I care about. So that's the pod. Learn something new every single day. I hope you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.